Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host tonight, Nick Pollock, and I am joined by my wonderful co-host, Mr. Matt DeBear. Matt, you notice how I didn't say like anything like mean or like it was a very normal introduction. How are you? I'm I'm wonderful because I was called wonderful. This is like <laughs> like new ground for us. I know. I just you know I I just I didn't have the energy to think of something more clever in this moment well, it's, but it's thursday end of the week you know we're all kind of run down so yeah gotta got conserve what you got it's true and wazoo's playing tonight so i gotta i gotta hold on to some energy <laughs> to watch watch them attempt to beat utah which surely will go poorly but we'll see um yeah so first of all hello everybody welcome to ohio state week in the middle of this podcast you are going to get a chance to hear um bill talk with another bill bill landis um and he's going to kind of give us the ohio state side of things here um but matt and i tonight are just going to like bookend it with some psu talk on the front and on the back end like we've done in the past um also if you're listening to this please make sure that you subscribe to roll lines roll wherever you get your podcast whether that be apple podcast spotify or wherever else um, leaving a review is also much appreciated. And if you haven't had the chance to do so already, make sure you check out the recruiting podcast that I posted um, on Thursday around midday. Um, Ryan Steiner from On3 joined me for that, gave a really, really great update of where things stand with Penn State's 2023 class, as well as uh, you know new things that he learned in the wake of the whiteout, which had, I think... I- I think he said like something like 170 prospects at it. Some, some absolutely bonkers number. Um, and I'm sure there'll be a fair number of them again at this week's game, even though it's at noon, not a wide out. It is a stripe out though. I didn't realize this was going to be the stripe out. Uh, Matt, are you going to the game? I am not. I was at the, the Minnesota game last week and we'll be in Texas uh, mm-hmm. the weekend of the Indiana game for a bachelor party. So um, my aging body needs, needs a weekend off between <laughs> between such events so uh i will be watching this one from the comforts of my home as will i as is you know it's noon kick so i'll be my my nice comfort zone of waking up and watching football at 9 a.m which i truly love out here on the west coast so i'm cool with it what are your thoughts on do you care that this game is at noon i guess big picture no but kind of in the moment yes you know it's i was on a podcast with um some guys from uh, Land Grant Holy Ran the Silver Bullet bod- podcast earlier in the week, and they asked a similar question. And it's yeah, I grew up in Columbus, where you know your biggest games are at noon and three thirty. You know the idea of, of a primetime game was just not on my radar a whole lot, especially for big games until I went to Penn State. And it's such a part of the fabric of of Penn State football, especially you know certainly in the last twenty years, probably and probably going back longer than that. Um, so to to play your biggest home game of the year at noon is a little odd. Um, obviously, from a, a football perspective, I think it hurts Penn State a little bit just because you're not going to have quite as raucous a crowd. But um, I think in the big picture, it really doesn't matter. I don't think it's you know I don't think Ohio State wins the game or Penn State definitely wins the game if it's at seven thirty, and Ohio State definitely wins because it's at noon. Um, it just kind of feels. I was at the Penn State Michigan game in Ann Arbor a couple weeks ago and just felt weird to to go into a game, you know, with that those sorts of ramifications that started that early. Um it just it doesn't feel like like big time college football to me. Certainly not anymore because I've been so adjusted to to big games at 3:30 and later, you know, not just Penn State games, but you look around the country and it's um 
you know, your biggest games are starting, you know, middle of the afternoon and most of them are starting under the lights. I blame, I blame the lack of tailgate time prior to a noon kick. It just, it doesn't give you enough time exactly, to get in the correct yeah. headspace. Um, but you know, let's talk about this Penn state Ohio state game and we'll, we'll get into more of the, uh, specifics of what we think, you know, is, is going to happen as far as, um, the actual game itself after bill talks with bill Landis. But just for now, I want to just kind of ask two questions and we'll give our answers and then we'll pass it over to bill in this game. In this year, 2022, what does a loss in this game actually mean for Penn State in the grand scheme of things? I really don't think it means an awful lot. I think it's, um, I think everyone basically expects it. You know, you look at a 15 or 16 point spread, you look at um, just some of the comments that we see on Twitter and social media and just talking to my my friends that I went to school with and, and our fans, um, it feels very expected. Um I think, you know, if, if you you look at how it, a, a loss potentially happens, you know, if it's a blowout or, um, you know, that, that's such a loaded question going into a game. But I just don't think it really means a whole awful lot um, for a team that six weeks ago or eight weeks ago or whatever it is before the season started, no one really thought that they were going to be in this game anyway. So, um, you know, everyone was talking about this being an eight or nine win team, you know, at tops. And I don't think a loss really changes what, the big picture expectations for the team were this year. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I think the only, um, like the only thing I can really even say is that like the type of loss just affects what kind of talk Franklin gives after the game. Like if it's a close loss, then we get another rendition of great, but not elite. If it's a blowout, then we get a rendition of we need to recruit better, yada, yada, yada. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I agree. It's, it's, you know, and I think it's one of the reasons why that Penn state has been able to, perform well in this matchup under James Franklin for the most part is because I think they understand that it's house money. Like it's Ohio state. You're not supposed to beat Ohio state. Nobody in the big 10 is supposed to beat Ohio state. So if there's any single game that you can go into and truly just let loose, throw all caution to the wind, throw stuff at the wall, see what sticks, whatever terminology phrase you want to use. Like this is the time to do it. This is the time to take your chances and, see if you can make some magic and um they have done a good job of you know keeping this game even in the years when it hasn't really been that close like they've been able to hang around in this game of course they haven't won since 2016 but um yeah and you you know you can nitpick all you want you could say 2017 yeah if they stay more aggressive through the second half do they win probably 2018 if they don't forget how to tackle and are able to defend a screen pass do they win Probably, but regardless, like it's just, it's house money. That's the best way to put it. And a loss is, you know, unfortunate, just like any loss is, but it's not the end of the world by any means. On the flip side, though, Matt, what would a win mean? I think from a very practical standpoint, it means that Penn State's right there for for a Big Ten title. You know, they've gotten through... At that point, their two toughest games, one and one. Um, you know, Ohio State still has to play Michigan. Um, so, on a very basic level, it means that they're you know contending for a Big Ten championship. But I think, in the grand scheme, to you know take the same tact as the what a loss would mean question, I think it reassures or affirms that um, 
what they're doing is, is working. They're going in the right direction. Um, you know, we saw what the win in 2016 did for them, you know, for the rest of that season and then into 2017. And I think on the heels of the way they've recruited in this class that just signed this year's current freshman in the class that you and Ryan talked about, the 23 class that's coming together, we'll sign here in a, a couple months. I think it means, you know, it, it allows them to build, continue to build on that success in the recruiting trail, continue to get the talent level on the roster where it needs to be. And like, like I said, affirms that what, the, what they've been doing coming out of, you know, the, the trouble of 2020 and 2021, that the plan is working, that they've, you know, this change they've made from a coaching standpoint, from a strategic st- standpoint, and from a just general program operational standpoint, what they're doing is working. Because obviously Ohio State's the, the measuring stick in the Big Ten, right? You know, like you said, you're not anyone beat not everyone beats Ohio State. You know, the number of teams that have more than a couple wins against them in the last ten or fifteen years is is very short, especially within the league. And, you know, all of a sudden you've got two in the last six years, which on paper doesn't sound great, but when you look at, like I said, Ohio State's success over that time frame, that means a hell of a lot. Um and you know, you you use that, and then the you know the success off the field as that springboard into um, where I think we expect this team to get in the next couple seasons. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Matt and I'll be back in just a just a bit here to break this game down a bit more. But for now, let's pass it over to Bill and Bill to talk about things from the Ohio State side. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, and I don't have a co-host today. I have a special guest uh, here to. Give a little bit of insight into Penn State's opponent this week, the Nittany Lions playing host to the Ohio State Buckeyes, 7-0, 4-0 in conference play on the season. Number two team in the AP poll, number one team in the country by SP+. And uh, yeah, the the big bad wolf that Penn State has been trying to uh, take down for the last... God, at this point, there's going to be six seasons since the last time the Indian Lions were able to pick up a win. So wanted to go out, get someone uh, from the lovely city of Columbus, Ohio, to give us a little bit of a little bit of a look into what we can expect out of the Buckeyes. So I decided to go out, get our pal Bill Landis. Bill, what's going on? Man? Not much, man. Excited to be here. Uh, I This is my favorite game. I guess, well, I don't know. Sometimes it's a Michigan game because there's, you know, Michigan's good and the stakes are high, but but this is typically the best game of the year for Ohio State, uh, and it's always one of my favorites to cover, so I'm excited to talk about it. So, you know what, before we get into anything else, like, let me let me ask you a little bit about that, because something that I find fascinating, and I have never able to kind of put a finger on it, is exactly why... Penn State and Ohio State play each other so close uh, since that 2013 game where Ohio State won 61-14. It was a seven-point Ohio State win. It was a 28-point Ohio State win. It was a three-point Penn State win. And since then, one point, one point, 11 points, 13 points, nine points. And when you look at Ohio State, Ohio State is the kind of team that blows teams out. And for whatever reason, they just have not done that in recent years with Penn State. So I'll ask you to be speculative before I ask you to actually give like hard and fast facts and truths about the Buckeyes. What do you think that's the, is the reason for that? Well, part of it's recruiting. I, I think it's the, Ohio State will only play, you know, maximum two games per season in the Big Ten where it's it's even close to like for like talent and and 
Sometimes Michigan's there. They're, they're more often than not there now, but Penn State, really since James Franklin has taken over, has always kind of been there. It's there's there's a gap between the two. Like I'm not I'm not saying they recruit at quite the same level, but it's similar enough that I think it makes a difference. Um, and then on top of that, you know, I don't something about actually I'm interested in in this game because he's no longer there. But something about the way that Brent Pry I think called a game against Ohio State did did something to slow down that offense i don't know if it was being pretty aggressive um obviously when you get to play in beaver stadium at night that helps too but i think the combination of having similar talent at the skill positions specifically um i think there's mm-hmm. been a little bit of a difference on the lines between these two teams and, and that's typically kind of where the game is decided in the end but i think there's enough similarity at the skill positions on both sides of the ball that that it takes a little bit for ohio state to feel penn state out and then also just feels like for whatever reason, Penn State seems to kind of maximize whatever its capabilities are in a given year when it plays Ohio State, which I give them credit for because not many teams do that. And and also not many teams are as aggressive against Ohio State as, as Penn State tends to be. Sometimes it feels like teams show up to play Ohio State and the game's over before it starts just because they know they're at such a talent disadvantage. And Penn State's never really approached it that way. So I give them credit for that. Um, I'm assuming it'll be similar this week. I know there's there's different uh, coaches, at least on the defensive side, calling things, but the talent is still there, and, and there are some pretty intriguing individual matchups in this game. So I'm, I'm I don't know how uh, Penn State fans feel about it, and I, I always sense a little bit of trepidation for this game from Ohio State fans because they know that for mm. whatever reason, Penn State always seems to play them close. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's weird because for everything that James Franklin says about you know we have that one and no mentality, we just want to focus on this week, blah blah blah. It legitimately does seem like he's built up his program with the focus being we need to beat Ohio State, and I think you see that in how Penn State plays against them. Like there are times where it seems like Ohio State players, coaches, whatever, kind of like you can see like the fact that Penn State has this game circled on its calendar, like can kind of get to them so it it, like it's interesting and it creates an interesting dynamic where Ohio State is the better team going into this game but in recent years Penn State has put up really good performances against them uh the issue this year Bill is in my watching of Ohio State it seems like this team even by the standards set by the last couple of years of Ohio State football is Maybe the most well-rounded well, – I don't even want to say maybe. I think this is the most well-rounded Ohio State team of the Ryan Day era. Would you agree with that? Um, yeah, I think I think I would. Um, the 2019 defense was really good, but a large portion of that was Chase Young existing, and, and they, don't have, <laughs> they don't have that kind of guy on this defense, but I think maybe the totality of the defense this year is, is better – um, and it's better coached, I think, more specifically. And then the offense, I think, is is probably the best that Ryan Day's had. Um, I think there are things you can nitpick for sure. I think there are things that, that people maybe are getting a little concerned about. But Ohio State always has like stretches of the year where it looks indestructible. And we're kind of in the midst of one of those stretches right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, think they, I think the average margin of victory since the Notre Dame game is like 54 to 16 or something like that. Um, it's it's pretty lopsided and ridiculous, but and and even in the course of that happening, they have not always probably played a hundred percent to their capabilities, and they're still winning by that margin. Like there were times last year where they were really talented, but if they were off, the games got kind of close. The Penn State game was one of those games. They they played at Nebraska and were, looked like they were trying to lose for a little bit. Obviously, they lost two games last year. So uh, this team to this point has has not, I guess, shown that low of a floor. The floor has mm-hmm. been really high. 
um, to this point, and and the ceiling is obviously incredibly high. We can talk about the talent that they have. So I th- I think I think I can wrap my mind around the idea of this being Ryan Day's most complete team. That the thing that gives me just a slight pause is that while this defense has played really well to this point this year, they've not really done it against any offenses of note. So that that's still a little bit of a lingering question mark. Yeah, Ohio State entering this game uh, first in SP+, second in offensive SP+, fifth in defensive SP+, and 93rd in special teams SP+. So uh, there's a there's a blocked field goal that wins this game. Uh, you you know that is something that's very much on the table. But yeah, like Bill mentioned, like uh, Bill, Bill Connolly does his ranking of the six college football or the unbeated college football teams. Uh, every single week. And number one in his list is Ohio State, and it includes one big question for every team. And the question for Ohio State was, how exactly does one beat the Buckeyes? Like for Georgia, it had a question about uh, their offense. For Michigan, it had a question about J.J. McCarthy, blah, blah, blah. For Ohio State, it was, this team looks like it is, you know, the word you use in there, Bill, was indestructible. And that's been this really incredible thing about this Ohio State team for me is that, there will be stretches in games where it seems like they take their foot off the gas. You know, the Notre Dame game, 21-10, first game of the season, kind of write that off. But there will be stretches where it's like, okay, you know, Ohio State looks like they're playing with their food a little bit. And despite that, in Big Ten games this season, 52-21 over Wisconsin, 49-10 over Rutgers, 49-20 over Michigan State. And this past week, uh, 54-10 drubbing of Iowa. So as someone who is around the team a little bit, can you just give us a sense of what's the general vibe around this Ohio state team and how does it compare to, you know, you've, you've been on the Ohio state beat for a minute, just some past uh, Ohio state teams under Ryan day. Uh, I, I think it has the the highest ceiling of any Ryan day team. And I guess maybe that's not saying much. He's only been head coach since 2019 and, one of those years was really weird in 2020, but with, with the defense playing as well as it is, and it's not it's not just that they're playing well. I think that there's a lot of trust in, in Jim Knowles, a new coordinator, mm-hmm. to to when when the point arrives that they do get tested or, or maybe there's something that gets exposed within the course of a game. I think there's trust that Jim Knowles has answers for that because he's been running this defensive system for so long at Oklahoma State, at Duke. Uh, he was an old Miss for a little bit. It goes back to when he was a head coach at Cornell. That's how long he's been a coach for 30 years he's been building this system. It's new to Ohio State, but it's not new to him. And he's had tremendous buy-in from his defensive players. So I think I think that elevates the ceiling because there was – I mean, I don't think anybody, players, coaches, fans, nobody believed in that defense last year. Um, it was yeah. just sort of like week to week it was like waiting for the wheels to fall off and at times hoping that the offense could just do enough to, to put a big number up so that it wouldn't matter. But um, – Frankly, like in the biggest games, it just sort of felt like the opponent was going to score almost every time it had the ball, which is a, an unusual feeling for an Ohio State defense. That is not the case this year. Uh, they get off the field at a really good clip. Um, I think they're like top five and stop right at this point. Um, they've not been tested a ton in the red zone. They've been okay when they're there, um, but they stopped the run first and foremost, which is what they did not do last year. So it starts on that side because the offense with Ryan Day is sort of the offense. I think you you know what you're going to get year in and year out with them. Just so happens that this year it's being piloted by a, a second-year starter and, and C.J. Stroud, who's been in, in the program and in the offense itself for three years now. And that's a little bit of a new reality for Ryan Day, too. And I just think kind of ups the ante a little bit, just just makes them that much more dangerous because C.J. is so well-versed in, in what they're trying to do. So um, there's a lot of – they have a lot of ways they can beat you. I think maybe – Last year, it was more along the lines of, well, if they can't throw the ball around the yard on you, they're going to have a hard time. 
And this year, like they've won games where they kind of had to grind it out, running the ball a little bit. They've, they won a game last week against Iowa where the final score looks really lopsided, but for two and a half quarters, it was just the defense shutting down Iowa until the offense figured things out and then they blew them out in the end. So, so the defense is, has, has done its part too much more than it has last year. So um, I get the question, like how, how could you beat Ohio state? Cause it's, it's not, there's no obvious answer to that question. Yeah. Uh, Ohio state last season, uh, end of the year 20th in defensive SP plus, obviously that was the big issue with their game uh, against Michigan, where Michigan just went out there and steamrolled them. Uh, and Ohio state really had trouble stopping the run uh, this year. Ohio state hasn't had that issue. And then like Bill mentioned with, their rushing attack. They are third in the Big Ten in offensive rushing yards per game to go along with second in the Big Ten, excuse me, behind only Purdue in passing yards per game. So they're really good at football is, I think, the uh, general overarching take here. And in a second, we're going to dive into Ohio State's offense, Ohio State's defense, strengths, weaknesses, all that sort of thing. But before we do that, I want to thank the podcast sponsor over at Home Field Apparel. I am not currently wearing anything from home field apparel because it is laundry day and I went through all my home field stuff already. If you're a college sports fan on the internet, you are surely aware of home field apparel. If you are not aware of home field apparel though, they are a premium collegiate apparel brand based right out of big 10 country in Indianapolis, Indiana. Their shirts are comfortable. They're unique. The designs are cool. The, the material is nice. Like I, I'm a big fan of everything that home field apparel has to offer, even beyond the fact that they help us uh, put this podcast on for you several times a week. And if you are a Penn State fan, if you are a fan of any number of schools, including Ohio State, and you want to get your hands on some home field apparel merchandise, if you are a new customer, you can use the promo code ROARLIONSROAR, one word, all uppercase, to get 15% off of your first order. Again, new customers with home field apparel use the promo code ROARLIONSROAR. One word, all uppercase, for 15% off of your first order. Thank you very much to Home Field Apparel for sponsoring this edition of the podcast. And now let's get into talking about this Buckeye team a little more uh, a little more in-depth. And we'll go on both sides of the football here, Bill. And start with the offense. Uh, I have listed strengths slash weaknesses of stuff we could talk about <laughs> in an attempt to say, like, hey, maybe Penn State could do this. Maybe there's a thing to exploit here. Blah, 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 blah. But I, I struggle to find a weakness in this Ohio State offense. Is there anything at all when you are trying to have the most critical of eye you can point out as maybe that's something that, uh, that an opposing team can have a little bit of success with? This, this is going to sound, um, un, I guess, like kind of dumb, frankly, because they've, they've scored in the red zone every time they've been there. Uh, and I think it's uh, 35 of 35 or 36 of 36, something like that. And the majority of those are touchdowns. Uh, but it's not always been easy for them to score touchdowns in the red zone. And and this is the point of the year, kind of last year, where, where that bit them a little bit. It bit them in the Penn State game. Um, they had like 500 yards of offense and I think scored two touchdowns in that game. And yeah. it bit them the next week, I believe it was, against Nebraska. And then it kind of went away for a little bit and came back at the end of the year when they played Michigan and when they played uh, Utah in the Rose bowl. And it's, it's not a concern now. Cause I'm not, I'm not really sure how you could label it that when they've scored every time they've been there, but it is still something I'm wondering about because it didn't look so easy for them last week against Iowa. They, they were there seven times. 
They scored four touchdowns against Iowa, which is not a terrible number. Um, but they were gifted the ball on the plus side of the field. I think it was five times and only scored one touchdown, I believe, on, on one of those drives. So th- they've been a little clunky in the red zone, um, particularly running the ball and and trying to you know run it in short yardage. They've eventually finished the job, but it's t- you know they've had games where uh, what game was it? It was the um, Michigan State game, I think. They were it was like fourth and or it was like first and goal the ball was on the goal line for like 10 minutes when they were trying to hammer the ball into the end zone like there were some penalties in there they kept running for no yards um so it's it's not something that i think is is completely ironed out so i think maybe that's something that penn state could exploit because penn state's got a pretty good red zone defense um and then the other thing is that they rarely come across defensive backs that can challenge them one-on-one and I think Penn State has those guys and, and has had those guys, which is part of the reason why this has been a closer game uh, more years than not. So I, I don't think those are surefire ways to beat them, but it's not something they've had to face yet. So I would maybe call it a little more of an unknown element for Ohio State's offense. But I mean, they got CJ Stroud, Marvin Harrison Jr., Mecca Buka. They're going to throw it on you. They have Trevion Henderson and Maya Williams and a pretty good offensive line. Um, maybe. Last week, notwithstanding, when they only rushed for 66 yards, but I, I think they're going to be able to run the ball too. So it'll be tough. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, they're, it's the kind of offense that like shows up and just expects to have 35 points when it leaves. And, and usually it's probably more like 55 points. So um, even if you can slow them down, they're probably still going to put up a pretty big number. Yeah. So I, I want to specifically ask about CJ Stroud and these receivers because the, th- Penn State's path to winning this football game is, it, it to whatever extent it exists, is Penn State's secondary is the best secondary that Ohio State has faced. And compared to everyone else that Ohio State has played up to this point, Penn State presents a kind of challenge that is going to test C.J. Stroud. It's going to test the best receiving core in the country. Uh all these sorts of things. That That is what I think the optimist's take is uh, if you were a Penn State fan here. But what has it been, What or what is like been the case with C.J. Stroud and these receivers that have made them so dangerous to the point that, yes, even if you're going out there and you're taking out Emeka Abuka, Cade Stover, and Marvin Harrison, there are three, four other dudes who are capable of beating you down the field. Yeah, well, I guess part of that's a, a testament to the recruiting they've done, where they can just kind of keep throwing guys at you until until you bend to their will. I guess <laughs> I guess there's just too many of them to, to yeah. handle at a certain point. Um, there's a tremendous amount of confidence too with some of the throws that CJ's willing to make, and sometimes it gets him in trouble. He's thrown an interception in each of the last four games. Um, he can be overly aggressive at times for sure, but I think it's much more to Ohio State's benefit that he is not afraid of throwing the covered receivers. He's not afraid of throwing 50-50 balls, and, and his receivers are, are tremendously comfortable, Marvin Harrison Jr. especially, of winning in contested situations. So even if you are a secondary that has the talent to cover them one-on-one, which I do think Penn State has, uh, that doesn't mean that doesn't mean you've won because C.J. Stroud's not going to mm-hmm. back down from the challenge of trying to throw against those guys and his receivers. I think it'll be more than game uh, to to go up and and win in in situations maybe where some receivers won't won't be as willing to do so. And then with the running backs, with Mayan Williams, Travion Henderson, Dallin Hayden, that kind of three headed monster they had, are they all stylistically similar kinds of guys, or is you know 
this is the uh, this is the thunder. This is the lightning. This is the pass catcher. This is the blocker on third down. That sort of thing. Yeah, I I would say I Dallin Hayden is like a very distant third in that in that room. Um, he's had to play a little bit because Travion Henderson and Maya Williams at at different times have been injured. Um, last week was the first week in I think three or four weeks that both of them were available for the same game for the entirety of the game. Um, so they're kind of trying to build some momentum, I think, back with the two of them, get them both back to feeling healthy. But they're they're different. Trevion is more of a home run hitter, although he's playing with a foot injury that's kind of limited his explosiveness a little bit. He's not had a tremendous amount of really long runs, but that's kind of his calling card. Um, he's going to be a physical runner, too. He, he's he's a complete back, but Mayan Williams is much more physical, um, more of like a one-cut style of of running back. And And when he sees it, I think there are a lot of Ohio State fans that will tell you, that when Mayan Williams like sees sees the hole, makes the right decision, is decisive and gets downhill, he's every bit as good as Travion Henderson, um, which is mm. kind of crazy because Travion was a five star prospect and the number one running back in his class, and Mayan Williams was like a three star guy that Ohio State added late because like they didn't get Bijan Robinson and a couple other guys in that tw- in the twenty nineteen class or twenty twenty class. I can't remember which year that was, but um, they're both really capable. They the Ohio State likes to say that they have two starting running backs. Um, I think both of them have the skill set to be the bell cow here if, if that was the situation they found themselves in. But it, it does feel worth noting that neither one of them is 100% healthy. And I thought some of the limitations that come with that showed up a little bit last week against Iowa. So um, we'll see how it plays out. But but I think maybe there's some vulnerability there with Ohio State's rushing attack. Yeah, and uh, before we flip to the other side of the ball, I know Jackson Smith and Jigba's status has been uh, – he's had some injuries, played a little bit. Is there any uh, any word on what we can expect out of him heading into this week? They're, they're saying they're expecting him to play. I'm, I'm skeptical of that. He mm. came back last week and played 22 snaps, and they went in with a plan to kind of keep him on a, on a lower snap count, I think around 20. But the last play that he played, it, it looked like he hurt himself again. So yeah. Ohio State, like Ryan Day, much like James Franklin, does not talk about injury specifics unless they're season ending. And, and certainly that's not the case that Jackson's in. Um, tried to ask about that on Tuesday and didn't get a whole lot of information other than they'll see how the week goes and they're expecting him to play on Saturday. But I think it's a little up in the air. Uh, so let's look to the other side of the football where I I, I think that this past offseason, it seemed like Jim Knowles was going to make the jump to one of these programs that, uh, you know, for how good Oklahoma State is, could help him go after a national championship. He just did such a spectacular job with a bunch of like two stars and a low three star guys in that Oklahoma State defense. Uh, Ohio State doesn't have two star and low three star guys. They have backups who are five stars. It's different and it's scary. So when you look at this Ohio State defense, where is the biggest way that it has changed under Jim Knowles as his defensive coordinator that has led to so much success through this first half of the season? That's a good question. Um, I I would say like it's it's a less of a tangible thing, I suppose, but but they are playing with a tremendous amount of confidence and, and, and with that just comes like faster play. If you watch them last year, especially like the linebacker position, they just look so uncertain of themselves at times, like Mm -hmm. unsure of what they were seeing on the field, unsure of what to do once it was happening to them and and sort of incapable of, of adjusting once, once an opponent found a weakness to exploit. And, and 
part of that, I guess, is that they were really young and inexperienced for the most part last year. But part of it, too, is like their, their coaching last year was just not good enough. Um, and they have not only Jim Knowles as the coordinator, they have a new safeties coach, they have a new cornerbacks coach, and Jim Knowles is also coaching the linebackers. The only holdover is uh, Larry Johnson on the defensive line, who I know Penn State fans are familiar with. So um, I think they're much better coached, uh, much better prepared. And because of that, they're faster and playing more aggressive. But then the scheme, too, I think, while it is complex for defenses, I think is pretty straightforward for Ohio State's defensive players. Jim Knowles puts a lot of, puts a lot of that onus on himself to put guys in the right position with a specific call. And if it ends up being the wrong call, like he owns that, he doesn't put it on the players. And I think that helps the mindset as well. Um, so they're better across the board uh, at really every position. The one that sticks out the most is probably linebacker because it was by far the worst position last year. And mm-hmm. right now, Tommy Eichenberg, their middle linebacker, is playing like a guy who might be first-team All-Big Ten and, and perhaps in the running for the Buckus Award he's playing so well. Um, and then the defensive line has just kind of really gotten after it in a way they weren't last year, both in the run game and in the pass game. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they were like hinting all like camp that there was one dude on the defensive line who – uh, you know, really stepped up, really this, that. And then next thing you know, Michael Hall just turns into like the hardest defensive tackle move in the country, correct? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Larry Johnson, I think, said like, oh, we have we have an alpha dog, but I'm not going to tell you who he is. And then after, <laughs> and then after the first game, we're like, oh, it's Mike Hall. Um, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, he's uh, he's another guy too, though, who's been, who's been injured a little bit. Um, mm. He's not, he played, uh, what was it? He played uh, seven snaps, I think it was, against Michigan State and had four sacks. So he doesn't need a whole lot of playing time. Um, and I'd, I'd imagine he's going to play uh, quite a bit. It's felt like over these weeks, Ohio State has been trying to steal time for guys who have been banged up so that they're ready to go for this game. So I don't I don't think there's going to be many guys on a pitch count against Penn State. Uh, but yeah, Mike Hall, number 51 in the middle of the defensive line, uh, is the best tackle they've had here in quite some time. So one thing that you mentioned was last year's Ohio State defense never felt like it was playing up to the sum of its parts. It has five-star here, five-star here, four-star here, four-star here, five-star here, blah, blah, blah. And yet it just felt like there were ways that you could beat it. I think Sean Clifford, if memory serves, had one of his best games of the season last year against Ohio State in Columbus. Uh, Pulling it up right here in Clifford last season against the Buckeyes. Uh, 35 for 52, 361 yards, uh, one touchdown, one interception, QBR 70.8. So last year for how good Ohio State was, it's defense, like, like we mentioned, it's defense was a bit of a liability, had stuff that you could, could attack. Would you say there are any parts of this defense just beyond the fact that Ohio State's schedule this year has been Notre Dame, Arkansas State, Toledo, Wisconsin, Rutgers, Michigan State, Iowa, and this is their second road game of the year. That could be the sort of thing that Penn State could go after and potentially have a bit of success against. Yeah, their, their cornerbacks have had some issues with um, 50-50 balls, and mm. like they've not they've not really played a, a stellar receiver outside of Jaden Reed in Michigan State, but he had a nice game that day. It was, it was a blowout win, but he had a good day. Um, I think Penn State has has similar guys on the outside that can challenge them. It's it's kind of weird. They've given up like next to nothing on pass defense, but they have given up a handful of like forty yard pass plays. Um, it's 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 kind of a, a I don't know maybe it's a statistical anomaly. I don't know, but it's uh it's something that they've been concerned about for sure, and and something that has appeared better the last 
or I guess like last week it appeared better, but it was against Iowa. Like Iowa doesn't have anybody that's going to test that. So um, I think that is, is the, is the number one area of emphasis for Ohio state's defense. And I think the thing that Ohio state fans are probably most interested in is whether or not those corners can hang with a quarterback who's willing seemingly Sean Clifford to throw those kind of down the field 50, 50 shots and, and let a guy like Parker Washington or someone else go up and get it. I know we saw a couple of plays like that in the, in the Minnesota game. Um, Ohio state's shown itself to be susceptible to that. So um, I think that is the area where I would try to attack them out, out there on the edges against the cornerbacks one-on-one. Yeah. Uh, Ryan day said in his uh, press conference today, uh, the combination of quarterback and wide receiver will be the biggest challenge we have faced so far. And uh, I dropped that into one of the group chats with uh, some of the fellas and like any Penn State group chat, there are some that really, really do not like uh, Sean Clifford. There are some that are kind of ambivalent to him, blah, blah, blah. And there was a bit of, oh, I hate that he's just saying this stuff. He's going to blah, blah, blah. No, this is legitimately the best passing game uh, yeah. for how flawed Penn State's <laughs> passing game is that Ohio State has faced this season and Bill when I look at the players again on both sides of the football who uh you know could be x factors who could be the guys that you know you're not going to immediately point to you're going to immediately point to CJ Stroud you're going to immediately point to Travion Henderson you're going to immediately point uh Tommy Eichenberg as the guys who can potentially change this game for Ohio State or maybe if you don't want to say change this game uh, make things a little more comfortable for Ohio State. Who are the guys that you would identify as the more like under the radar players who can stand to have a big game here and either make Ohio State's margin of victory a little more comfortable or in a close game do some stuff that maybe Penn State fans aren't expecting? Yeah, I think on on offense, I'd go with Cade Stover, the tight end for Ohio State. And this is a guy who was uh i i can't quite remember i think he was i think he was mr football in ohio and like the runner-up for mr basketball or like vice versa he's a really good athlete um but he's kind of been stuck in between a bunch of different positions up until this year playing on both sides of the ball they finally said we're going to put you a tight end because we think you're an nfl tight end and he's played really well this year ohio state does not throw the ball to the tight end like very much at all historically but I remember a couple of years ago, like in 2020, when Ohio State played in an empty Beaver Stadium, um, they played a lot of 12 personnel with two tight ends, and they threw the ball to Jeremy Rucker, their, their former tight end, who's with the New York Jets now quite a bit. And it was sort of like, well, why don't you do this all the time? Because Jeremy Rucker's really good. So I, I don't know. It feels like sometimes in these games, Ryan Day likes to kind of dust that off and and take advantage of the fact that the teams pay so much attention to the skill on the outside and, and to the running backs and to CJ Stroud that maybe sometimes you forget about that guy over the middle of the field. And Kate Stover is, is a very capable blocker. He's, he's actually a really good blocker and, and is an underrated part of what's made their run game go, but he's pretty good in space too, as a receiver. He's had a couple of long receptions this year. He had a play last week where he like, He's 6'5", 260 pounds, and he like jumped over an Iowa defender and ran mm. for 20 yards after a reception. So he's a, he's a really good athlete, definitely um, has, has I think, pretty high NFL upside. And he, he kind of stormed out of the gates pretty strong for Ohio State this year, and the last few weeks has been a little bit less involved. But I'm going to alert to see him get more involved. This week, while everyone's wondering about Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka, it might be like Cade Stover who ends up scoring two touchdowns in this game. And, and that could be a major difference um, given how tight these games have been. Um, and then if there was one on the, on the defensive side, Jordan Hancock is a sophomore cornerback who 
played for the first time last week. He had a uh, mm. it was a hamstring injury that he suffered in camp all all spring and most of the summer. All we heard about was Jordan Hancock's the next one. This kid's going to be really good. If he doesn't start, he's going to play starter minutes for sure. Play a lot of snaps. Um, and then he got hurt in camp and, and didn't play. And, and it's been like a storyline, like when is Jordan going to come back? Cause, cause corner has been a little bit of a liability for them. He finally came back last week. Again, Iowa is, Iowa doesn't test anything you do in terms of <laughs> passing defense, but he looked okay when he was out there. And uh, he was another guy who was on a little bit of a pitch count too, but I could see him playing a major role in this game. If, if he is, if he's the guy he was billed as in the spring and the summer, um, which is maybe possibly their their number one cover guy, then I could see him, you know, seeing a whole lot of Parker Washington on, on Saturday or or being the guy that they throw on one side of the field and say, hey, you try to lock this down. And and if Ohio State's defense can do that, then then I'm not really sure how you crack it. Yeah. I am shocked, beyond shocked, that you did not say Julian Fleming for that. Because <laughs> boy, it there there's been so much uh this week about how this is the first time Sean Clifford has ever played Ohio State in Beaver Stadium with fans in the stadium. It's like, okay, yeah, cool. At the same time, boy, does this feel like a chance for Julian Fleming. Just one last time to twist that knife on Penn State fans because, man, I uh, yeah. we, we, we all know that Penn State fans uh, weren't happy uh, with the decision that that young man made to uh, head out to lovely Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, the uh, what was that? The the twenty, I guess it was the twenty nineteen game when Julian was being recruited. He showed up to Ohio Stadium to watch Ohio State play Penn State, a kid from Catawissa, Pennsylvania, and wore a, a hoodie that said Ohio versus the world or something like that on it, uh, which felt very intentional. Um, and he is uh, he's playing really well. He's finally healthy. Yeah. He's been snake bitten by injuries um, his entire career. But he, this was pointed out to me by uh, my co-host, uh, Jeremy Birmingham, in the podcast that we do, that there's only one receiver that scored a touchdown in every game he's played this year for Ohio State, and it's Julian Fleming. And he scored on a 79-yard post route last week um, where he kind of took the top off the defense. He scored down in the red zone. Um, he's a guy who I think benefits greatly. And that's not to take anything away from him, but I think he benefits uh, greatly from the attention that gets paid to Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka. And and obviously even more than that, if, if Jackson Smith and Jigba ends up playing and he's plenty capable in his own right too. So uh, yeah, his uh, his presence in Beaver Stadium uh, is is ripe with narrative. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated <laughs> to see how that turns out. Yeah, it's, uh, be, being the five-star fourth option is an untold luxury uh, for a passing game, especially when your quarterback is either the either going to win the Heisman trophy or going to finish top two in the Heisman trophy ceremony. So let's move into looking uh, forward to this game. I almost don't want to do this first one because uh, I know what you're going to say, but let's do some fill in the blanks here. Ohio state wins this game. If blank, Uh, if they get back to running the ball the way that they did, so last week they ran for 66 yards, and in the four games prior to that, I think they averaged like 230 rushing yards a game. Uh, if they get back to doing that, then I don't think anyone has a chance to stop them. So um, even when they're not running the ball, they're still dangerous. But when they can do both, they're, I, I, I just don't know what you do. So um, if that if that happens, then then I think it's a it's a fairly comfortable win for Ohio State. And then on the other side of this, you know, we've talked about uh, how good Ohio State is, how they do all sorts of things, but. Fill in the blank for Penn State wins this game if blank. 
I think there's a couple things. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's just one thing. Like I would, I would say, I would say stopping the run, which maybe doesn't sound great given how the Michigan game went, but, but I think Ohio state's rushing attack is built quite, quite the same way. Um, I also think, I think something weird needs to happen, like a special teams touchdown, which against Ohio state's special teams is, is possible. Their kick coverage has been terrible this year. It's not bitten mm. them yet. Um, and maybe it won't ever bite them, but it's been bad. Um, I think they've given up like five returns of 30 yards or more. So mm. I think that that's a potential area that Penn state could exploit. Um, and then the stuff we were talking about with the, with the corners, like I just, I don't think there's any reason to be like overly concerned if you're an Ohio state fan going into this game that their corners aren't going to be able to hold up. But, but if it turns out that they can, I don't think I'd be terribly surprised because in a very small sample size, it's not look great. And this is the stiffest test they're going to have. So if Penn state's receivers can win outside, if Penn state can do a little bit to stop the run and then, get get a score in an area that's not offense whether that's a defensive score or a special teams touchdown then i think penn state can win well uh i'm going to ask you for a prediction but something that seems very uh informative to what your prediction is going to be is the number of times you said the word if right there (laughs) and like not even joking like the number of things that have to go right in order for penn state to win this game which it's not a knock against Penn State. Like, this is just Ohio State. This is what they are. You need a bunch of things to go your way to beat them. My hunch is you are going to pick Ohio State to win by some sort of uh, decent margin. They are 15 and a half point favorites. Uh, SP Plus hasn't put out its projection yet on Tuesday night. So, what do you think about that spread and what do you think ends up happening in this game? So, so you, have, you, have me, you have me wrong. I, I'm, I'm really? not. I well, I think Ohio State's going to win because, like, mm. I just in order to pick Ohio State to lose, like, you got to be really certain about it. I think, and I, I'm not, I'm not quite there. Um, but mm. I don't know what it is. Like, this game's always close, so, so like, I don't want to. Mm. I'll, I'll pick a blowout, I guess, after it happens, but it just doesn't happen in this game. So, um, I, I think the 15 or whatever it ends up being is is about right. I, I think I'd pick Ohio State to win by like 10. Um, maybe something like 34 to 24. I think there's a couple of field goals in there for Ohio state that they don't, you know, just routinely score touchdowns against Penn state the way it's done in, in many of its games. And um, I think, I think it's probably somewhat of a game like into the third quarter and, you know, maybe, mm. maybe Ohio state will blow their doors off. Maybe it will look like it looked when Penn state went up to Ann Arbor. Um, I, I just don't. Um, part, part of that is the history of this game. And part of that too, is that, there's enough unknown with the defense and there was a little bit of clunkiness with the offense last week against Iowa. That makes me question what kind of gear Ohio state is in right now. I still think it's a pretty high gear, but I don't know if it's, you know, death star gear at the moment. So I I think there's an opportunity there for, for Penn state to keep it close. And uh, last question, Phillies and how many? Uh, Let's see. We'll say Phil's and five. So wow. it's still, I believe, okay. I believe the world series is it's, it's two, three, two, right? So they'll get, they'll get three. Yeah. In a row in, yeah. So they'll win it in game five and in, in Philly. Yeah. Uh, it, team of destiny in That's every, right. every, every sense of the word. Uh, Bill, thank you very much for coming onto the pod. giving us a little bit of insight into uh, the Buckeyes. Let the people know where they can find you. Yeah. Uh, so I write uh, at Ohio state that rivals.com and I co-host uh, the podcast, uh, you can find it on YouTube if you search the podcast OSU uh, or find it on my Twitter at Bill Landis 25. Hello, we're back. Thank you to Bill and thank you to Bill for giving us the inside scoop on Ohio State. Much appreciated. Um, obviously, we'd love when we can get 
get friends of the podcast to come on and do those because they're able to offer insights that we, you know, simply, simply don't have. Um, but now let's look at things a bit more from the Penn State side. Um, and, you know, Matt, while we were recording our, our earlier session, it, I, I, so there are obvious parallels with this season in 2016 already when you consider the got torched by Michigan and then in the week prior, um, played Minnesota. Obviously, 2016 was a bit different because that game was tire fire. This one, Penn State was able to handle a lot more easily. Um, but you reminded me of the fact that 2016 obviously happened on the heels of 2014 and 2015, two very, you know, mediocre 500 ish seasons. And you know what? That's kind of what happened in 2020 and 2021, too. So that's another parallel to that um, that setup for this game that I hadn't considered. But I think it's worth mentioning that to go back to that conversation about what would a win mean. You know, even even when I did that podcast with uh, Tommy Stevens, former Penn State quarterback, even he was aware of the narrative of or not, not even the narrative, just the fact that that team arrived early. And I think that a Penn State win here would, you know, it obviously would be a springboard, but it'd be a springboard that they're much more um, set up to capitalize on with the way they've recruited and the way the roster looks now. Um, but, you know, doing that against Ohio State is going to be tough. Right now, the spread is sitting at 15 and a half last I saw, over under only of 61, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, but we'll talk about that a bit more. Let's first focus on what this game looks like when Penn State has the football. If Penn State is going to find a way to win, what is their best path forward, do you think, to beating what seems to be a pretty darn good Ohio State defense? Well, I think exactly. I think um, with Jim Knowles running things on that side of the ball for them now, um, they've always had the athletes. You know, obviously, you look at the way they recruit year after year. It was never a, ma- a, a matter of talent on defense for Ohio State. I think it was they never really figured out how to get it to work together. Um, you know, it was a lot of guys that were just kind of, um, you know, we're, we're better than you and we're going to, that's going to take over. Jim Knowles kind of has them, doesn't kind of, he does. He has them playing as really a cohesive unit. Um, and I think not to overly simplify it, and I, th- you know, this sounds very cliche, but I think when Penn State's on offense to have have a chance, they certainly need to score points. You're not going to, we'll talk about this in a minute, but you're not going to slow down or, or stop Ohio State's offense. They're just, they're too, too good, too talented, every single position on the field. Um, but for Penn State on offense, they're, they're going to have to move the ball. They're going to have to score points. They're going to have to score touchdowns. You can't settle for field goals in this game. Um, but I think it really does start up front. Um, you know, we saw against Michigan um, a different kind of, of defense, but a very good defense. The line really struggled in from a physical standpoint in, in running the ball. Um, obviously, the offense struggled overall, but they did a decent job in pass protection. Like, they've done most of the year. Sean Clifford hasn't faced nearly the pressure he did every time he dropped back this year as he has in the last couple. Um, so I th- that certainly has to continue. This is going to be the best, best pass rush that Penn State's faced all season and will face all. Um, if there is a weakness, though, I think it is Ohio State's cornerbacks and the guys I talked to on the Silver Bullet podcast during the week kind of alluded to that. Um, so I think Parker Washington, Mitchell Tinsley, and some combination of Trey Wallace, Omari Evans, Keandre Lambert-Smith, Liam Clifford, someone 
um, needed to emerge that third receiver. Yeah, Johnson. And I think you need to see, like you said, you need to see more of what we saw from the tight ends a week ago against Minnesota. I think that that can be an X factor with a guy like Theo Johnson, who is in that Mike Gesicki, Pat Firemuth mold, where he's just you know kind of a freak athlete that creates a mismatch wherever you put him. Um, but it, it all starts up front. I need to. They need to be able to at least threaten the idea of a passable run game, you know, something that's, you know, going to get four or five yards with enough consistency where you have to respect it. You know, that's what Michigan was able to do. They could let a really good secondary sit back and, and cover Penn state's good, but not great receiving core Ohio or Penn state needs to do something to, to back Ohio state or force Ohio state to bring extra guys up to stop the run to open things up for those receivers. They they're not going to win, you know, win the passing game against guys dropping back into coverage because they don't respect the run. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would be surprised. I think if we didn't see them do something similar to what they did last week and more use the pass to set up the run, um, because obviously they still, you know, they still tried to run the ball here and there early. It didn't go well. Um, but once they were able to hit, <clears throat> Theo Johnson on a couple deep balls. Once they were able to start throwing downfield a bit, all of a sudden, Catron Allen, Nick Singleton had a ton of ton of space to run through. Um, Ohio State's defense is more talented than Minnesota's, but Minnesota's defense is very good. And the fact that Penn State was able to find room on the ground against them, I think, does bode well for their ability to maybe be able to do do it against the Buckeyes. But um, I agree. It, it seems to me like. This is a game where we need to see Sean Clifford be willing to trust his receivers to win one-on-one battles against the Ohio State cornerbacks um, and just to throw them the ball and give them the opportunity to make good on that trust. Um, I think that's going to be huge for Penn State's offense on that side. When Ohio State has the ball, there's not a lot of ways to not get killed by them because Ryan Day's offense is pretty absurd. Now, the one thing we can say, you know, we we're really unsure of what the deal is with Jackson Smith and Jigba right now. Um, probably the best receiver in the country, probably going to be the first receiver drafted um, in the uh, spring, but he's, you know, he's been battling injury issues since week one, I think is when it all started. Like he's yeah, been he left that Notre Dame game early. Yeah, he's he's barely been on the field this fall. Now, granted, they've barely skipped a beat because Emeka Ibuka, Julian Fleming, Marvin Harrison Jr., like all those guys are studs in their own right, and it's not really going to slow them down that much. But, you know, if they had the choice to have Njigba or not have Njigba, they would choose to have Njigba. So that is something to, you know, take note of. They have a very good offensive line, very good running backs, although the running backs have also been very beat up all throughout the season between Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson. So, you know, it seems like aside from Njigba, they are mostly healthy and good to go. But a lot of the offense has had some nagging things pretty consistently throughout the year. So it's definitely something to watch. Um, But as far as Penn State defensively, like I, you'll be hard pressed to find a better positional showdown in college football this season, I think than Penn State's secondary against the Ohio State receiving core. Yeah, that's, you know, that, that's the matchup that everyone wants to see, right? You've got Joey Porter Jr., who's a probable first-round pick, 
um, if not a first round pick, you know, certainly early second round at the latest, it seems, um, you know, Kalen King and Johnny Dixon, who I think are um, among the, you know, the best corners in the big 10 in their own right. You've got Jair Brown at safety, um, Zaki Wheatley, Keaton Ellis. I mean, they're just, it, that's a deep and talented Penn state secondary against the deep and talented Ohio state passing game. Um, hopefully we get shop Robinson back. Cause he obviously missed the Minnesota game. Um, but this is going to be, mm-hmm. I would hazard a guess that the best pass rush that Ohio state has faced to date. So I'm, I'm fascinated because it's, it's a very good offensive line, of, of course. Um, but Penn State, not consistently, but um, for times last year, in times in the 2019 game, the 20 game is just kind of throughout, you know, that was just a, a weird year, you know, a, a primetime we game. We just call that, that was, that was the quick Jahan Dotson one-handed catch showcase. And nothing else happened that night. But you, you look at the 19 game, the game last year, they had some success getting to Justin Fields in 2019 and CJ Stroud a year ago. And it got them out of their games a little bit. And obviously they've got so much talent that it wasn't obviously enough to win the game, but I'm really curious to see if they're able to replicate that again. Um, And they did a pretty good job for the most part a year ago and shutting down the big play running game. The Travion Henderson got loose for, I think it was one run later in the game that's really all he needs. But for the I mean, they it wasn't wasn't the Michigan game from this year, for example, where every time Blake Corum or Donovan Edwards touched the ball, they were going for ten or twelve yards. Um, so I'm I'm really curious to see because what Ohio State does in offense is is dominant in its own right, but they go about it so differently than what Michigan wants to do, and I think it complements what Ohio, what Penn State wants to do on defense much power that Michigan wants to run. So I'm I'm really curious to see if they can hold their own in the front seven and let those guys in the secondary do what they've done basically all year and, and win those battles one-on-one pretty consistently. So Matt, let's talk about predictions. Um, ESPN. We have to? Yes, we do. ESPN's FPI has this at 36.8 to 22.4 in favor of Ohio State. I think that was the FPI and not the SP+. SP+, Plus has it as a 33.21 Ohio State win. Um, I was looking over, where was I? I think I was looking on 247. There, I'm very accustomed to being the optimist among predictions when it comes to Penn State games. I don't think a single one of their predictions had Penn State losing by more than like eight points, which was kind of shocking. Like I, for all the reasons we talked about, like this is like a better matchup for Penn State than Michigan stylistically, and they have done a good job keeping this game close. But I was a bit surprised to see that. Um, I'm going to let you go first. Then, what's your prediction? <laughs> I've had time to think about it. When I did the the, the other podcast earlier in the week. I was on the spot on a Monday night, you know, all of all of thirty six hours or whatever it was to digest the the Minnesota game. Um, I, I it's hard to see a blowout, and I know I said that before the Michigan game, but it just this game has almost never been a blowout. Even the games that have been wide margins, yeah, on the scoreboard at the end were closer than than they looked in the moment. You know, the late score that makes it look you know like a bigger spread or whatever. I. I think this plays out a lot like the 19 game, a lot like the 21 game um, where Penn state hangs around and it feels like they're, you know, a player or two away from, from getting into it. 
but Penn State has to be so perfect in this matchup. They, there's just so little margin for error that in Ohio State's just too good that I think they force a couple of those errors. I think Penn State just doesn't have the firepower on on offense. And I think that's not just a quarterback thing. That's not just a receiver thing. I think it's just, you know, as a whole, they're not the explosive offense that's going to put up 35 or 40 points consistently against a really good defense. Um, so with all that said, I do think they cover. I think 15 points, 16 points is, a lot. is a lot. Um, it's a, you look back since James Franklin's been here, I think there's been one game that was a wider margin than that. I think that was the 2018 game maybe. Um, but regardless, so I, I've been thinking something like 41, 28, 41, 31, something like that, you know, high scoring. I think Penn state puts up points. I just think not enough. Yeah. I, I agree with all that. It's it like you, like you said, like it would literally take Penn state outscore at Ohio state. And that's a really, really difficult proposition. Um, I, I saw an interesting stat. I said, I saw a couple, well, a couple interesting things I saw or was thinking about today. One, Apparently, Ohio State has never scored 40 points in Beaver Stadium. I saw I did not verify that myself, but um, I did see that floating around on Twitter. So I thought that was interesting. And secondly, you know, it's something we talk about relatively frequently just because of how often Ohio State turns over talent. This is a point that is generally true. But the Buckeyes have not had to play in Beaver Stadium with a crowd there since what was it? So it would have been 2018, right? Because 2020, the game was in Beaver Stadium. Yeah. So nobody on Ohio State's roster currently, maybe Stroud was a, no, no, because he, no. I I don't think anybody on Ohio State's roster, barring somebody who's hanging around with COVID year or whatever, um, was on the team the last time that they had to play in Beaver Stadium with a crowd. And, you know, the noon kick does kind of neuter it a bit, but, I think I saw they're opening the gates pretty early. Like they're pretty, it seems like they're pretty clearly working hard to get people into the stadium. So, you know, I, that's not nothing. I, I, the crowd factor is definitely not nothing in this game. And I think it's, you know, if there is going to be any turmoil on the Ohio state side, uh, specifically like offensively, like if there is going to be any turnovers created early or anything like that, it probably happens early on when the crowds, you know, as loud as they can be. So I, and, and as Ohio state's still getting settled. So like, it's possible. Um, but this team is just so talented and the defense is unfortunately not just competent, really good. So like, it's, you, you don't really, you can't fall back and say like, Oh, well at least we can score on them. Like we don't really know if we can fence it, can score on them or not. So, um, I have this, you know, I'm thinking, Ohio State 38, Penn State 24, something like that. Um, I also think Penn State covers, I think, 15 and a half points is a lot. Um, but granted, you know, I have them losing by 14. So it's not 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 that far off. But yeah, like you said, like it's they've done a good job of keeping this game close, even if it doesn't actually end up being close statistically. They just find a way to hang around on the scoreboard and I I hope they do better than what I'm predicting, but I think that it, in the end, the Ohio State ex- explosiveness is just going to be a bit too much. Um, but yeah, you know, anything else you want to add here, Matt? 
I hope we're both horrifically wrong and virtually. So, so Nick and I sat what one row apart in the 16 game. Yeah. There, there was one row between us. Yeah. So, so at the end of that game, there was, there was boisterous hugging and, and celebrating between the two of us. So I hope come, you know, three thirty or so my time noon or so new 1230 your time, on Saturday, we are we're we're trying to get a FaceTime or Zoom going to recreate <laughs> um, in celebration. But um, I mean, it's funny. We, you know, we we probably had these same conversations six years ago going into that game. So it's college football; anything yeah. can happen. But um, I, I'm I'm excited. I, I think um, after the Michigan game, you know, it kind of you know sucked a little bit of the life out of this game. Not just the Penn State loss, but how they did. Um, but like we've said, it, this has always been a competitive game for long stretches of the game. And I, it's hard to see that not being the case. Um, that's why they play the games, of course, but um, no, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of um, you know, getting a second stab at, at one of the, the top teams in the country um, in your own house with a crowd um, just two weeks after you kind of got run off the field on national TV. So it's, it's a really cool t- chance at redemption that um, excited to see how, what they do with it. Yes, my wife still um, will jab and make fun of me because, as she remembers it, when the block kick happened, she turned to hug me, and I was not there because I was two rows behind me hugging you instead. And I, I know I've told this story before, but <laughs> my now we were Jackie and I were just a, almost a year into dating, I think, at that point. And that was her first true home game. She was at the blue white game that spring, and. She she still jokes about how she told Holly Nick's wife in the in the aftermath of either the, the block kick or at the end of the game when it was over, you know that that she needed we needed to give the guys a minute, and um, <laughs> so um, I'm sure as I walk out and, and rejoin her here on the couch, I will be reminded that once again. <laughs> Well, here's to hoping that many more couples in Beaver Stadium this Saturday will get the chance to make their own memories just like that one with their husbands, leaving them to go hug a different a different man in the stadium who they podcast with and occasionally write <laughs> write with on the internet. Um, but I think that's going to do it here tonight for us. Um, thank you again to Bill Landis for joining the podcast to give us the Ohio State Inside Scoop. Make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast on your podcast platform of choice if you are not already, and make sure you are also subscribed to Roar Lions Roar on YouTube. Um, and make sure you hit the alert bell there as well. Um, and, you know, everyone, have a great time this weekend. If you're going to the game, enjoy. Try to get out on the tailgate fields early and get that full experience, and then hopefully you'll be celebrating in the aftermath as well. But for tonight, that's going to do it for us, for myself, Nick Pollock, for my co-host, Matt DeBear. Thanks for listening. Go State.